precautionary measures that have to be taken over the side. But be that as it may, you are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit, and you are joined together with me, I'm Mark Penrith, uh, our pastor at church in Benoni on the far east rand of, well, Johannesburg, Ikruileni. Basically, it's Benoni, a little bit of bushveld, and then Mozambique, and then the Great Indian Ocean. And this morning, I'm joined together with my partner in crime, uh, Tepo Pitzel. He's actually sitting in the room right next door to me. We're both at church at the moment. Uh, he serves alongside of me at Crystal Park Baptist Church. Um, and so, Teps, it's uh, it's always good to be joined by you, brother. And I'm hoping that uh, this morning rocks as we try and figure out all this technology. Uh, I am very grateful to be joined at the studio um, by Zani, who is pr- pressing all the buttons and making sure that the lights stay on and giving us cues when we are live on air. So, uh, Zani, thank you so much for joining us. And I know that Vusi is in the background there as well, making sure that things happen. It's wonderful to be part of a team uh, at Radio Pulpit. Um, and listener, we are inviting you to join the conversation. So as we speak, please do engage. Um, today is a questions and answers session. Uh, I do get to see everything that you ask, whether it's on WhatsApp or Telegram or Facebook or Twitter. Um, I get to see that even where I am. And so we will be able to bring your questions, bring your comments uh, into the show. So really do encourage you to engage with us, please. Um, our, our contact details on WhatsApp and Telegram are 082 six five seven two seven two nine love voice notes now i don't know if we're going to be able to get those to work but zani is at studio he has a mechanism for communicating with me um via the zoom call and so i'm hoping that he can bring voice notes in so i can actually hear your voices i love it when i get to do that um, you can engage with us on both whatsapp and telegram using their telephone number uh, on Facebook, I'm assuming that we are streaming to Facebook right now. Uh, if we are, I will shortly be sharing uh, Facebook to the Crystal Park Baptist Church uh, Facebook page as well as to my own profile. Looking forward to hearing and seeing you on Facebook as well. Uh, the Twitter handle is at 657am, at 657am. We try to keep the show as normal as we possibly can under the circumstances. And so we're going to be starting with our regular segment, The State of the Nation. Um, each week, we speak to an organization called 4SA. Um, 4SA, as an organization, is a legal advocacy organization that works um, for the promotion and the protection of the constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa. Uh, and this morning, I'm joined by Daniela Ellebrecht. Um, she's an attorney of the High Court of South Africa and serves as a parliamentary liaison. Um, she's a graduate from Rhodes University and has specialized in litigation. Daniela, I spent time in Grahamstown. I was a, I was a kid and grew up. I, I attended uh, St. Andrews um, uh, down in, in Grahamstown. Beautiful little city. Uh, really cool that you got to go to Rhodes. Yeah, I'm actually very grateful that I got that opportunity. Um, yeah, I was there from 2006 to 2010, and it was really, really, really wonderful. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful settings and surroundings. And so you go from Rhodes, Grahamstown, and all of that kind of beauty, and you head over to Cape Town, like more beauty. <laughs> I'm like yeah, a little bit jealous. It's, like, it's actually like a whole story 
behind that um, that we can get to in another day. But I was like applying for jobs everywhere, like even in Europe. Oh, really? <laughs> the only job God would give me was in Cape Town. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I don't understand, but I'll go. Well, and essentially um, now it's like 11 years later and I'm still here. And now obviously I'm looking for us and I can see like, oh, okay, there was a, you know, like there was a straight path in God's mind. But for me, it was absolute like mist. I had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> and it's I think of just following like every step in obedience. And like he opens the next door and then, you know, trials and testing and you pass that. And then he opens the next door and then some more trials and testing and then you pass that. So. Well, in terms of your role uh, with 4SA, with uh, Freedom of Religion South Africa, you guys have been very instrumental, very... Um, good at raising the banner, raising the flag, uh, flying the red flag over the last number of months uh, around the Papuda Amendment Bill um, and particularly lobbying uh, the South African church uh, to lodge their objections, their vocal objections, their written objections uh, to this controversial bill. Uh, the Department of Justice had told 4SA that they would consider all the comments that they received up until the 30th of June 2021, and that was two days ago. Um, by the end of 30th of June, where were we as a country in terms of our response uh, to the bill? Mark, Seppo, I just want to say thank you so much for the platform that you and others have given us to reach the faith community. Um, we are so appreciative. And thank you to every single listener who exercise the democratic rights to actually object and uh, you know submit their comments on this bill and voice their concerns because I just want to say by the end of the 30th of June the combined 4SA and DRSA platform had logged nearly 90,000 submissions and another wow. organization which represents many members of the traditional African spirituality faith reported sending in over 63,000 submissions to oppose the bill and many thousands of submissions have also been sent in from members of the Islamic faith. Um, everyone who sees this bill as a drastic overreach and interference by the state into the very part and sacred tenets of their faith. So while we are still waiting to hear what the exact number of submissions uh, received from the department, for us, I can confidently say that well over 100,000 submissions have been sent in just from the faith community, which is the biggest response to a religious freedom issue that we have seen from the faith community yet. I mean, that's absolutely remarkable. That's fantastic. Uh, so great to hear that. Um, I remember uh, involvement with various different bills over the years and just the excitement <laughs> when the sleeping giant, the church, actually does rise up um, and begins to interact and just uh, so glad uh, to hear that we have done that. Um, yeah, well done to Voice and well done to the listeners. Um, to folks that responded. I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear uh, that we did so in mass. Um, even though we've now responded, I, I have no doubt that there are many out there that are still unaware of what Papuda is and the various different uh, safeguards that it threatened or the threat that was really coming against uh, religious freedom in, in South Africa. May, maybe you just want to um, briefly outline uh, what those were uh, for us. Um, so, Papuda is uh, a current law in South Africa, it's been law since 2000, and it stands for the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act. Now, commonly 
people just refer to it as the Pewter or the Equality Act. And what this whole campaign was about is that the Department of Justice proposed certain changes to the law um, and then asked the public to comment on it. Now, these proposed changes to the current Equality Act um, are the most dangerous that 4SA has ever come across in our work as an organization since we've been um, established since 2014. And the changes will directly affect every person, every listener, every organization, every church. And the changes propose, amongst other things, to change the definitions of both discrimination and equality, significantly broadening both of them. So if you are changing the definitions of equality and discrimination um, in a law whose very name is the promotion of equality and the prevention of unfair discrimination, then you are changing the very essence of that law. So amongst other things, it was also proposed to radically increase the liability for discrimination. Um, so for example, employers will be liable for the discriminatory conduct of their employees, even if the employer didn't know about it, or even if the employee didn't act intentionally. Because that's also another thing is that one of the changes um, proposed was to remove the requirement of intentionality. So, I mean, Mark, last week we used the example of um, you or Tsepo asking me a question um, on this radio show, and I feel that my dignity has been infringed on the basis that I'm a woman, or I feel prejudiced on the basis that I'm a woman by your question. But the fact that I'm a woman didn't even cross your mind when you asked the question, none of that matters. Like, both of you and uh, Cape, Radio Cape Pulpit and Radio Pulpit will be held liable for discrimination in terms of these changes. And in short, that's why there's been such a massive public outcry from different sectors of society, um, from the financial sector to the um, civil society organizations saying that this bill is a very bad idea. And the proposed changes, if affected, um, which we're now hoping will not happen, thanks to, as you rightly said, the sleeping giant of the church um, waking up and making over 90,000 submissions, um, the changes will have an impact on every South African, including religious organizations, nonprofits, and individual believers. Mm. Uh, can I be a little bit selfish for a, for a moment? Like, uh, obviously, I'm a pastor. Uh, I pastor a, a, a church, a community. Um, I, my, my cares for my flock. Um, how would this bill specifically have affected the church in South Africa? So, Mark, a major concern um, is that the bill overturns any form of religious autonomy. Um, so it allows the government minister, um, you know, in charge of traditional institutions and so forth, uh, which would very likely include the church and will very likely be the Cocta minister, um, which is the minister passing the current lockdown regulations. Um, to pass regulations and or codes of practice dictating to um, organizations what measures to implement to eliminate discrimination and promote equality. Now remember, discrimination and equality have now been redefined by this bill. Um, so effectively, this would amount to direct state regulation of religion and in the institutional autonomy of religious organizations. Um, so basically what this would mean for Crystal Bach Baptist, uh, which you and Sepul pastor, is that your constitution as a church, you can throw that out of the window, you can burn it in the fireplace, it's not gonna matter. Because if 
the minister says that I want to see 75, you know, uh, represent 75% female representation in eldership. I mean, I don't know what your tenants um, or our faith are as a community or so forth, but uh, for example, I'm part of a church that believes that eldership is solely male. Now, I'm part of that church because that's how I read my Bible and that's a part of community, that's the type of community I choose voluntarily to be part of. Um, and so, for example, if, if that regulation were to be passed, my church would not be able to comply with that. It interferes directly with the um, with our tenets of faith. Um, or for example, you know, anything like the types of marriages you want to solemnize. Daniela, um, to, be, to be honest with you, uh, I mean, that example is really pertinent uh, to Crystal Park Baptist Church. We, we represent, uh, I guess, some of the more conservative Baptist related works uh, that, are, that are in the country. And, um, and for us, the way that we do read our Bible, whilst it is certainly not against the Constitution, because the Constitution makes provision um, for religious institutions just like ours, um, we would have serious problems if the state decided to start to intervene in terms of, in terms of our faith. Um, autonomy is one of the key distinctives of being Baptist. We, we, we would have a, a major problem uh, if the lines started to blur between the church and the state. Um, and so, yeah, even your example is very pertinent to us. Okay, that's wonderful to hear because, I mean, essentially what would happen is that the state would start telling you how to function internally as a church. Um, and I mean, the same goes for faith-based independent schools, um, their ability to determine their own doctrine and internal workings free from state interference, all of which these rights, Mark, are specifically protected and guaranteed by the South African Constitution. So what we're seeing is that this bill will directly impact and infringe on other fundamental rights. Now, an important thing to note, <clears throat> excuse me, is that there is no hierarchy of rights in the South African constitution. And our Concord has repeatedly said that, um, but this bill would create a de facto, um, you know, like an in practice hierarchy of rights, even if it's against the law. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just very, very, very dangerous. Excellent. Well, you know, I mean, in terms of it, uh, obviously, there, there is a process. Uh, you've already said that the Department of Justice is going to be listening to the various different uh, objections that have been raised, all 90,000 of them. <laughs> good luck reading plus, through that. 90,000 plus. <laughs> yeah, 90,000 plus. Good luck uh, reading through that inbox. I mean, shame. You've got you to pity the bureaucrat who, uh, who has to trawl uh, through all the submissions. Um, but but, but I'm, I'm sure there is a process beyond beyond the 30th of June. Um, do, do we have any idea how this might roll out, uh, what the future might look like? Okay, so Mark, first things first is, like you said, the department now has to consider and apply their minds to every single submission. Um, and they may appoint a workforce of bureaucrats <laughs> to do that. Um, I hope they do because putting that on one person um, does not make sense. But yes, yeah, so they'll have to evaluate the comments received and consider them amending the bill accordingly, um, apply their minds. If you know they don't amend the bill or they don't accept a proposal or something like that, they have to be able to give a reason why. Um, 
And then if they decide to proceed with this bill, which um, as far as a, I mean, we've asked for the bill to be scrapped in its entirety. Most of um, most of the submissions that went in um, asked for the bill to be scrapped in its entirety. So we're hoping that they don't decide to proceed with it. If they do decide to proceed with the bill, um, it will then be tabled in parliament um, where it will be classified likely as a bill that can only be passed by both houses um, agreeing. So for example, uh, both the National Assembly and the National Council of Provinces have to agree on the bill. Um, and only thereafter can the president sign it into law. So we've got the department working through the comments. We've got it going to parliament. We've got it going to the National Assembly and um, opportunity for public comment here. If the National Assembly passes it, it goes to the National Council of Provinces, second house of parliament, opportunity for public comment here. If the National Council of Provinces passes it, you know, um, then it goes to the president to be signed into law. Well, Daniela, uh, good job. And uh, we do look forward to hearing how this rolls out in its entirety. Uh, please do keep us posted. Uh, let me take the opportunity to just say, uh, listen, if you've, been, if you've been listening to what Daniela has been saying, you've been listening to the conversation, you're intrigued, your interests are piqued, you would like more information, the right place to go to, uh, to hear about what is happening in the state, even right now, uh, in terms of uh, the conversation around the freedom of religion in South Africa, would be to go to the website 4SA. Dot org, 4SA.org, and there you will find video tutorials of what's going on. You will find information abounds. Um, petitions that can be signed are frequently put onto the homepage, um, and they will do a good job of keeping you informed of what is happening in our beautiful country. May the Lord God bless it. Daniela, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it today. As always, Mark, thank you to you and Sepal for the opportunity. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope your listeners have found it useful. Thank you. Cheers. God bless. Well, Tips, it's good to see you, buddy. How are you doing? Hey, you got to unmute, my friend. <laughs> okay, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> That's good to hear. So, so listeners, uh, obviously, we're not in the radio pulpit studios right now. Uh, we are at our church premises uh, in Benoni. Um, we are here as part of um, the kind of the plans around what's happening in our country right now. Um, but we are able to stream out, we're able to stream out live, we're able to see your questions as they come in, we're able to engage with you. I, I'm even hoping we might be able to hear you um, if you send in voice notes and video notes. Today is a questions and answers. Uh, Tepo and myself will be answering your Bible questions as they come in and engaging around those. Let me just say from experience, you guys are very active, particularly towards the end of the show. So a flurry of questions come in and then we've got to answer them like really on our toes as quickly as we possibly can. If you've got a burning question, if you've got something in God's word that you would like to ask, best you get it in early. Uh, the earlier you get it in, the easier it is for us to engage in it. Um, during the course of the next two hours. Let me tell you how you can engage in questions on Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit this morning. Um, you can engage on Facebook. Um, our Facebook page is Radio Pulpit Radio Console 
and uh, on that Facebook page, you will see the stream and you can just type in the comments. I see those coming up as you type them up uh, and am able to engage with those that way. You can also engage with us on Twitter. Um, is there a Twitter audience out there? If you are a tweeter, um, tweet away on at 657am, we will pick those up. Um, and then I love voice notes. You can voice note us on WhatsApp or on Telegram. Actually, I don't know if Telegram takes voice notes, but I do know that WhatsApp takes voice notes. And you can WhatsApp on 082-657-2729. We are looking forward to hearing your questions. Uh, I guess until the questions really roll in, um, we do need to just uh, talk between us, uh, Tepo. Um, yeah. uh, Jean uh, just says, uh, thanks Mark and Tepo, as well as Daniela. Uh, appreciate the feedback. And Jean is from Vitbank, a large audience in Vitbank. Uh, love to hear from you guys. Um, a large audience dials in from a church called Faith Baptist Church that uh, I was at uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, together with other Baptist leaders um, at a conference, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, tips, I, I think just maybe to, quit, to kick the questions and the answers off, um, even as I was um, listening to Daniela talk in terms of uh, 4SA and the submissions and the Papuda Amendment Bill and uh, just state intervention in local churches, uh, my yeah. mind, my heart was immediately picked peaked and uh, uh, red flags started to go off in terms of the separation of church and state, uh, the role that the church has toward the state, the role that the state might have toward the church, um, and what that looks like biblically. Um, obviously, I've given you no time to think about this, but uh, yeah, just uh, off the top of your head, as we start to talk about the autonomy of the local church. What are some of the things that come to your mind? And uh, I'll pick up off the back of what you have to say. So basically, I think when it comes to <laughs> the church and the state, is the church is the church <laughs> and the state is the state, right? So, <laughs> Thanks for stating the obvious, brother. <laughs> you know, so, so like, I mean, I mean, I need, I need, you didn't even give me time to think about it, but like, I'm, I'm just thinking about, um, how the church or how the state relates to the church and how the church relates to the state. So obviously these are two separate bodies, right? Um, and so for instance, let's say uh, the government gives, um, what is this, um, directives to the church, <laughs> um, then the church has an obligation for as long as it is not sinful, for as long as it, it is not disobedient to um, its master, which is the Lord, right? And obviously, everything everything that gets um, um, given as a director from the state um, obviously has to be weighed in terms of what Scripture tells us. And and I, I guess you 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 put me in the hot seat here because we are <laughs> in the in, in the middle of something that is really cooking hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so um, in terms of in terms of what the the state says, the church is separate from that. In terms of what the church says, the state. I mean, I mean, obligatory wise, we all we 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 have an um, yeah an obligation to um, respond to the state in ways that God expects us to respond. It's not that mm -hmm. we go with 
everything that the state says we should do. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I, I mean, good job on on kicking us off. And and you said some things that I think are quite important. Some things that yeah. are quite important uh, in terms of of just addressing up front uh, the Bible. Um, in terms of biblical theology, starts off right with the individual. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God creates male and female. And so um, we as individuals have a relationship, a direct relationship to God. Um, we are under God. He is sovereign over us. We are created in His image. There's a connection between man and God. As we start to think about spheres, though, uh, there's a second institution which God creates, actually in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and that would be the sphere of family, right? Yeah. Um, it talks at the end of Genesis chapter 2, a man leaving his mother and father, being joined to his wife, the two becoming one flesh. And we see that there's a husband and a wife relationship, a husband um, uh, basically having a role of leadership in the home, uh, a wife um, being created as a helper, not as the help, <laughs> as a helper, as a complement um, to him in the home. And, and, and these two both being subject again to God. God is to be over our families. Um, as we then take kind of like one step further out, the, the next institution that we see God creating is the institution of government. And we, we, we see government um, playing a role the whole way through scriptures from very early on uh, in God's word. Uh, we talk about maybe a dispensation even of government. Um, <laughs> see how I went straight to dispensation there, Tepo, <laughs> launching off our conversation from last week. Um, but, but we might talk about a dispensation of government um, and we see governments inaugurated by God and then God leading through governments the whole way through God's word. We see Moses in the wilderness uh, over God's people. We see the judges uh, during the time of judges, the kings during the time of kings. Um, we see the relationship um, uh, between even the state uh, and the people in the New Testament. And, and we see that under God, we have this sphere of the state. But again, the state is to be under God, just like yeah. the family is to be under God, just like individuals are to be under God. Now, the church is inaugurated in Acts chapter 2. And from Acts chapter 2 onwards, towards the end of the story, uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, we don't really see the, the, the church in the book. Of, uh, did I say Genesis chapter 3? I meant to say Revelation chapter 3. Um, we don't yeah. really see the church at play um, in the middle chapters of the book of Revelation. We might discuss that at a different stage. Um, but, but for now, the, the church inaugurated in Acts chapter 2 is an institution under God. So it's important to recognize that there are these different spheres. There's the sphere of family. There's the sphere of church, there's the sphere of state, and every single one of these spheres is to be under God. In a perfect world, there's no difficulty, there's no hot spots, there's no contentiousness or tension between a state which is honoring God, a church which is honoring God, and individuals which is honoring God. The problem comes in when any of us families, church, or state, begin to yeah. dishonor God, begin to do that which God does not hold um, as his highest good and as his intended will um, for man. And, and that's when the tension the, between the various different 
um, uh, organizations and institutions that God has ordained um, be- begins to become problematic. Um, yeah. uh, in terms of the autonomy of the church, we speak at once about autonomy, we speak about interdependence. Uh, you know, churches are autonomous in that the yeah. highest decision-making body of the local church, certainly we as congregationalists, uh, would yeah. see uh, the congregational principle at play and that, that we are um, under God, the, the members when they meet under Christ um, uh, in order to make decisions are the highest decision-making body uh, for the local church. Um, but autonomy doesn't mean that we're disconnected from the various different um, institutions and organizations around us. Uh, there is a certain inter- interdependence between churches, and there certainly needs to be a relationship um, between the church and the state. The church needs to speak prophetically, and by prophetically I, I mean in the sense of forth-telling um, to the state, because the state needs that. <laughs> they make terrible decisions at time. We see that in terms of abortion legislation in our country right now. Uh, we see that in terms of many wonky decisions where the state needs the church to give God's guidance uh, into what they're doing. Um, the state is to in turn act on behalf and for the good of its citizenry. Um, and we see that happening even in South Africa in many ways. Uh, we see the state acting in God-honoring roles, um, particularly as they uphold the rule of law in our country that we might live tranquil and peaceful lives according to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, look, uh, I guess we just kind of um, dropped the first question <laughs> into the pot and got, com- and got speaking. Um, but now we can start to engage with, uh, with folk that are listening in. Um, I do want to say thanks to Beverly on being the first listener of the day. Uh, we need a, we need a, Zani, we need a drum roll for when uh, people do things of substance uh, on, the, uh, on the show. Beverly has asked the first question. Um, she asks, Mark, could you please address women preaching and women teaching in the pulpit? Mark, could you please address women teaching and women preaching in the pulpit? Great question, Beverly. It comes in to us via WhatsApp, um, and I am looking forward to diving into what God's Word might have to say about this. Tepo, um, any cursory thoughts? Uh, anything that you want to start off just in terms of the engagement and the conversation around women preaching and teaching in the pulpit? Okay. Um, so firstly, I think I think of many texts. <laughs> so let me let me just let me just get them open here. I think it's one Corinthians fourteen. Um, and let me just get to it now. Well, as you as you look up uh, a couple of texts, maybe, maybe let me get started um, in terms of uh, replying to Beverly. So Beverly, it is important to note, I think right up front, that mm-hmm. God gifts his church. He, he really does. He gives his church gifts. Um, and some of those gifts include the gift to teach, the gift to teach. Now, God gives both men and women the gift to teach. Even at Crystal Park Baptist Church, we have some ladies in our church who are peculiarly <laughs> gifted at teaching. Um, I, I, you know, uh, just, to, just to name one 
actually I could name a whole lot of names. God has actually given us a number of gifted lady teachers. Um, and as a result, our church has flourished um, under the teaching ministry of various different ladies in our church. Um, we at this stage have four ladies Bible studies. We have a ladies Bible study on a Sunday. We have a ladies Bible study, a monthly Bible study on a on a Saturday. Uh, we have a, a a meeting on a Friday and a meeting on a Wednesday. Uh, all taking care of various different groups in our church. Uh, the Friday is for young moms. The Wednesday is for the ladies in our church. Uh, Saturday becomes for all the women in our church, particularly those who are working during the week. Um, and our women in our church are very, very well talked, precisely because God has gifted our church with women who can teach well um, and who are given to teaching, who are given to preparation. I was sitting next to my wife uh, last night uh, as she went through the book of Jeremiah, basically preparing a teaching which is going out today, making sure that she understood the context, the historical context of the text that she was teaching, making sure that her application was in line uh, with what the text said. Uh, this morning, I woke up and uh, read my devotions, went through scripture. I'm busy reading through God's word with a, with a group of folk at Crystal Park Baptist Church. We read through it once every, every three months and uh, we're on day two of our reading uh, through the book of Matthew. Uh, we reached chapter six and, and I kind of got through that. Uh, my son Thomas was sitting on the bed while we were reading. And when we got to the end of that, Liesl read her notes. Um, to me so that I could just hear what she was going to be um, saying to the ladies uh, in the teaching that goes out via WhatsApp uh, this morning. So, so maybe just to start, I, I think it's important to say that the gift of teaching is a gift which is given to both men and women, uh, and the gift of teaching is to be exercised dutifully and carefully by both men and women. However, um, it would seem very clear from God's Word uh, that there are places where women are to teach and there are places where men are to teach um, and your question was particularly the pulpit now let me say that the the, the pulpit is is a broad uh, use of the word the pulpit could refer to a conference uh, a women's conference uh, in which case certainly wouldn't have any problem with women teaching women at a women's conference. Uh, the pulpit might mean a Sunday school rally and uh, certainly again wouldn't have problems with the women in our church uh, teaching in that context. But normally when we're talking about the pulpit, we're talking about what happens on a Sunday um, the high point of the worship service, the high point um, really of, of where God's uh, intended service of all the saints collected together uh, might land. Um, and as we get to that high point, uh, what normally happens in a Christian worship service uh, is that we read from God's word uh, and then following the public reading of God's Word, we would then have a public exposition of God's Word, a public teaching of God's Word, the public preaching or proclamation of God's Word. And that is a very peculiar activity um, that happens once a week in most churches. Once a week because we gather on the Lord's Day on a Sunday, uh, as we saw um, the early church gathering, um, through the book of Acts, um, peculiar because in it we, we really believe that we are under compulsion, we are under command of God. The book of Hebrews says, do not 
give up meeting together, even as you see the day approaching, and that word meeting um, is actually synagoguing. Uh, it's not the normal word that we see in the scriptures as meeting, but rather uh, don't give up synagoguing, uh, meeting together in the synagogue, in, in the building, so to speak. Um, and so uh, the preaching of God's word becomes a peculiar event in the Christian calendar, which happens weekly um, or as often as we can, where men and women sit under the authority, the authoritative teaching of God's word. We also believe that even in the preaching, um, God does a peculiar work amongst these people, that by his Holy Spirit, um, he he renews our minds by his spirit working inside of us he stirs our hearts and by his spirit um, he allows our lives to become transformed from one degree of glory to the next and the question is well who gets to do that biblically or who ought to do that biblically and i would say that scripture is abundantly clear in terms of who needs to be doing the preaching in the church and what that person needs to look like. So number one, who needs to be doing the preaching in the church? I would say that not exclusively, but certainly in terms of their um, mandated role, the elders of a church are responsible for the preaching and proclamation ministry of the church. In fact, they're they're responsible for all the teaching ministry of the church, um, but in particular, they are responsible for what goes down on a Sunday. Um, and the elders of the church are to be men. Uh, we would find that stipulated, stated categorically um, as we go through all of the New Testament, discovering that every time the presbyteros, the elders uh, of the church, the elders of the church are referenced, um, it is always a reference uh, to men. We see it very specifically spoken about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as Titus chapter 1 where it says if a man desires or if if a person desires to be an elder, he, and it's definitely masculine, desires a noble work. And then it goes on to describe what he looks like and it begins by saying that he should be um, blameless and a husband of one Wife, And so certainly the elders of a local church are to be men. But then in particular, in terms of what our Sunday worship is to look like, that's described in great detail, particularly in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is dealing with a series of problems in the church. Um, it deals, for instance, with the problems of kind of like crazy, wonky, anything goes worship in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But it also deals um, with what worship is to look like in terms of when we gather together congregationally in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it begins off by saying that I want men everywhere. This is in Paul's words, and I'm paraphrasing because I didn't look it up. I'm, I'm just going by, by what I know to be true. Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Um, this isn't just for the Corinthians that Paul is speaking to. No, no. Paul is saying, I want men everywhere in every place to lift up holy hands. He, he begins by describing the corporate prayer of the church um, as being a a male activity but then he goes on and he discusses uh, what uh, the women in the church are to be doing um, while these corporate prayers are being sounded and are going up and he goes on to say that I want the women to be silent in submission 
and he hangs off that requirement in the Corinthian church and taking into note that he has just made it a universal blanket approach men everywhere he hangs it off not of over something which is happening in the Corinthian church which is peculiar to the Corinthian church but he appeals all the way back to creation order to created order in Genesis chapter 2 uh, and he says um, uh, 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 and he talks um, about creation and so just to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, in terms of the explicit nature of what Paul is saying uh, he says this um, in 1 Corinthians chapter did I say 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Yes. I meant to say 1 Timothy chapter 2. I just I just paged to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and I'm like, hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not talking about what I'm talking about at all. I'm so sorry. I meant to say 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in the passages which I've um, been um, talking about, first of all, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 to 4, talking about prayer and petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving being made for everyone. Uh, we then see him changing gears in verse 8, saying, Therefore, uh, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. And then in verse 9, he begins to, to speak to the gune, uh, that's the Greek word. He says they are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as is proper for women who profess to worship God. Well, the question is, well, how are they going to be worshiping God? A woman is to learn quietly with full submission, and I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. And so... Uh, from that verse and from the context in terms of being corporate worship um, in terms of Paul having addressed men in terms of Paul in the very next chapter addressing the elders of the church uh, we would say whilst women are clearly gifted to teach and whilst women must teach even in the local church it would be inappropriate for them to teach in the corporate worship service of the local church Tips, is there anything that you want to add to that as we um, continue to go through some Q&A? Yeah, so actually I think I think because you've already laid it out, um, as, well, perfectly first, and then now obviously I, I just want to go back to the reasons Paul gives um, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. So, so he takes it back to the creation order, right? He takes it back to um, the man was created first. And so you can already see that from there, it's not cultural and it, it is basically based on how God designed it to be. And then secondly, I think um, just, just, just to give something to think about is, let's say for instance, um, a woman was allowed to teach in a pulpit. And so a husband sits in the congregation, a woman teaches from the pulpit, which is the wife to the husband. And now when you when you listen to what comes from the pulpit, it is it is purely leadership, right? And so then we would then say if that is allowed, then what does that mean in the home? Because if leadership from the pulpit had come from the wife at that on that Sunday, 
then what does it look like in the home? Who is doing the leading? So, so I think when, when it comes to just logic as well, in terms of that, we can see that you can't have them together. It will never happen like that. So it's either the man is the leader or the wife is the leader. And the Bible has been clear on that, that the man is definitely the leader. Thanks, Tips. Um, yeah. Um, and Beverly, thank you so much for your question. And, and maybe just to remind listeners that this morning is a questions and answers. You're welcome to send in your questions and answers. You can do that by on Facebook dropping a comment um, below the video, below the stream video. You can interact with us via WhatsApp. Let me give you the, the WhatsApp details again. They are 082-657-2729. And we are also available on Twitter at 657 AM. Teresa and Zani, now we need that drum roll. Teresa, long time listener. Um, it's good to have you with us this morning. He says, greetings all. Please share your thoughts on the following. Since the dead know nothing, how does one explain Samuel being called from the dead and how he knew about Saul's future? As well as Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. How should we explain that and its significance, especially in light of people who are, uh, who are for ancestral worship? This seems to contradict the statement of the dead knowing nothing. Uh, and uh, Teresa says thanks in advance for the answers. And uh, Teresa, I, I, I have to say thanks for the question. But, but yeah, that is a, a hectic <laughs> question, mate. Um, yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, Tepo, I'm not going to just throw you in the deep end yeah? Um, yeah. Although although you might have given a bit of thought um, to this in light of ancestral worship. In fact, I, I know that this is a, a topic that you've engaged on in the past. Uh, do, do you maybe just want to kick us off with some cursory thoughts and then I'll jump into the texts? So, so, so here's... I'm, I'm, I'm actually want to see the question. <laughs> Where's the question? Uh, the question came to us on WhatsApp, so sorry for uh, that. Uh, if you want me to read it again, I can. So, so I'll I'll hop on to ancestral worship, um, and yeah, so so that you then you can deal with the with the other details of it. So, for instance, um, well, not for instance. Actually, you said I've already given some thoughts to this, um, and I actually have. So. I think I think what we'd have to start with is what happens when a person dies, right? So that then will lead us to whether or not um, we can even try to engage with people who have passed. Um, and then obviously in those cases that Teresa spoken about, we see we see something that is sort of um, a bit different. But you you'll deal with that. But now in terms of what happens when a person dies? Um, I think actually preached a, a sermon on that. Um, it was Lazarus, Lazarus, and um, the rich man. So Lazarus um, was basically um, poor, and the rich man had everything. So Lazarus wanted to have at least even the crumbs that fell off from the table of the rich man. And so what happens there is both of them die. And um, the story goes that 
now the the spirit or the soul and we actually spoke about the dichotomy part of a of a person so the 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 inner the inner being of both of them departed from their bodies right and obviously the the rich man had like a good send off and lazarus obviously didn't have the money for for all of that to happen and then what happens is both of them um um go to where they should uh, Lazarus which means the one who God helps now sit at Abram's bosom and he is comforted whereas in this life he was he he didn't have even bare minimum of comfort right uh, but now the rich man is in Hades and it says he he actually wishes that a drop of water would come onto his tongue. He, he's actually trying to speak to Lazarus, and in that the story. Well, we we are told that it um, the the rich man now gets to know that those that are in heaven and those that are in Hades have this great gulf between them, and they cannot even pass. There's no visiting hours. There's, there's, so, so there's, there's nothing that can happen between them, right? So, um, in terms of that, in terms of a person having died, there, there is definitely nothing that you can do to get to speak to them, um, other than in, in, in specific cases like that. So, in ancestral worship, um, I know people would, um, well, for, 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 for one try to speak to a person who has passed and for me immediately the first question that comes to mind is how um like let's say let, let, let's just even think of where the person is we don't even know where the person is their soul has departed from there all that is there is the remains that's 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 like from dust to dust um and so there's there's literally nothing and and ecclesiastes even speaks about this um, that the, the dead are forgotten. And it, it, it also gives a, a, a an example of a stone. And I, I think that is actually, um, it's, I, I'm not going to call it harsh because it's God's word, but it, it actually, it, it's, 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 it's like you can't do anything. Um, you can't do anything if you have passed from this life. So for me, if, if my parents were to die, I mean, Gladly that they are saved, but there's nothing that they can do for me beyond the grave. So I, I won't even go and consult. Yeah, I, look, I I think that that answers the question regarding ancestral uh, religion. Well, um, I, I mean, just biblically, Old Testament uh, ancestral religion would fall into that category. Uh, that we talk about uh, regarding necromancy or communication with the dead. This is strictly prohibited by God's word. This is not something that believers ought to be dabbling with in any shape, form. Um, uh, we, we see the way that we are to respond to our old ways, the kinds of things that we were doing um, by way of example in the book of Acts when the Ephesian believers had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, as God wrought a, a truly great, um, miraculous, uh, city-wide revival in that city. They brought all their books of magic um, to the city square and they burnt them. And so should be our response um, to any false religious practices that we were involved in. 
um, before coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. We, we need to completely cut those out of our lives. But maybe just to speak um, to the two passages that have been raised, um, both the passage which is regarding Samuel and Saul, which we can find in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28 um, and, and following, where we, we find Saul, uh, who is king at this stage, but he's turning out to be a really rotten king. I mean, to be honest with you, Saul's been on a trajectory <laughs> since being crowned, and it's been yeah. a trajectory downwards. Um, through the book of 1 Samuel, things just get worse and worse and worse for King Saul. He, he ends up dying at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31, um, and, and, and his death is a gruesome, ugly death. It's, um, it, it's basically tantamount to a suicide. Um, his head is taken, he's stripped, um, he, he's hung on poles outside of city gates. R really, the, the tale of Saul's life is at its lowest ebb <laughs> as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 28. It might sound as if Saul is doing the right thing by, by, by calling on the prophet Samuel. But in actual fact, again, Saul is defying God. Just like when he spoke out of turn earlier in his life, just as when he disobeyed God, just as when an evil spirit had entered into his soul, again, we see Saul really standing in rebellion against God in 1 Samuel chapter 28. He is not the king who ought to be sitting on the throne. We, we know that there's a king whose heart chases after God, David. He's going to be coming. He's going to be the key figure um, for the rest of Samuel's stories. Uh, narratives, particularly in 2 Samuel. Um, but in 1 Samuel chapter 28, we have Saul at his lowest ebb. Um, and we have Saul going to a medium. Uh, this is a person who dabbles in witchcraft, the witch of Endor. Um, and yeah, he asks for her um, to conjure up uh, Samuel. Bring up Samuel for me, he asks in verse 11. And then the woman sees Samuel and she screams and she asks Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. She realizes that there's something up here, that something's not quite right. Um, but the king then asks her to tell him what she sees. And she sees, a, I see a spirit form um, coming up out of the earth. And, um, and it's a dark, dark tale. Now, there are two ways to interpret this. And I have struggled, Teresa. <laughs> I have struggled for a number of years to figure out which position I hold to. I haven't preached through 1 Samuel, so I haven't had to teach this from the pulpit. Um, but I have studied the passage. I've given a number of hours to this particular chapter. The two views are, number one, that this actually isn't Samuel at all. That this is an apparition. That at the end of Saul's life, his life is just so ridiculous. His life is just so contrary to God's will and to God's way that this apparition which this witch has conjured up is actually demonic. Um, and he is engaging not with Samuel himself, but with a demon. And the narrative is just telling this story um, as he goes from here onto war and then ends up dead. That's one possible interpretation. Uh, and I have heard that interpretation 
uh, from the pulpit in terms of men that I love and that I honor and that I, and whose counsel I would take. The other possible interpretation is that this is a once-off event, that God allowed Samuel to come and speak to Saul, that he used even the, the, the evil means of man to ultimately um, uh, achieve uh, his own purposes. It's very difficult to argue for or against either of those because the narrative doesn't actually give us enough indication to fool one way or the other. That's why I'm in two minds as to what this might mean. Uh, the reality is that the narrative gives us no indication that this actually isn't Samuel. Uh, it just doesn't, other than the fact that it's a witch that's conjuring him up um, and other than the fact that Saul is at the lowest ebb of his life. It may therefore be that God has allowed Samuel to come and speak to Saul because God does whatever he pleases. And it might be that for the narrative to progress and for Saul's story to get to its logical conclusion that God allows Samuel to speak to Saul. Um, of course, Samuel at the end of this um, doesn't exactly tell Saul what he wants to hear. And that is maybe why this is God allowing Samuel to speak to Saul one last time. He says in verse 19 that the Lord will hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with you and the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. And immediately Saul fell flat on the ground and he was terrified at Samuel's words and was so weak because he had not eaten anything all day and all night. So it might be that this is a once-off event that God allowed, and it also might be that this isn't from God at all, but is rather telling the story of Samuel uh, in terms of the lowest ebb of his life. Um, uh, for those of you who are interested in the structure that stories take, um, I storyboarded this a few years ago, and I'd love to do that again. Um, and so even on my own personal Facebook profile, uh, I'll add the storyboard uh, for 1 Samuel chapter 28 uh, during the course of today. The second passage that you speak to is certainly God at work. Um, and that's the transfiguration. The transfiguration can be found in the book of Matthew. Um, in the book of Matthew and chapter... Um, uh, chapter, I'm going to go with, uh, is it chapter, is it chapter 12 or 13? Um, I've lost Wait, the transfiguration. I'm in the book of Matthew, yeah. I had my finger in it. <laughs> and uh, and then it just disappeared. Um, uh, Matthew chapter... Thank you, 17. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 17, we, we have Jesus Christ. Oh, man, you know, at this stage, Peter, as, as a high point of uh, the disciples' recognition of who Jesus is, Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, in Matthew chapter 16. Of course, just after that, Jesus predicts his own death, and um, Peter tries to intervene and get be and get in between what's happening. And Jesus says those very famous words, uh, "Get behind me, Satan! You are a hindrance to me." 
uh, he tells his, his disciples to take up their cross. And, and then he takes three of his disciples aside. They, they're the three closest disciples to him. James, his brother John and Peter, they're often singled out by the Lord for special tasks in Jesus Christ's ministry. And he takes them onto a high mountain. And then in front of them, he is transfigured. Um, his face shines like the sun. It is a most amazing experience that they are exposed to. In truth, they, they experience something of the glorified Jesus Christ. At that moment in time, even as they are trying to figure out what is happening, um, a cloud covers them. Um, and God himself speaks out of the cloud and says, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that obviously throws our minds back to the baptism of Jesus Christ, where God had done something very similar. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, a voice had come from heaven and it said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, God pleased with his son. At the transfiguration of, of Jesus Christ, God pleased with his son in this command that they are to listen to him. But very interestingly, Matthew records for us, um, in terms of the experience of Peter, James, and John, th that they are not just Jesus and them on this mountain. That suddenly, in verse 3, Moses and Elijah appeared and were talking to them. Um, and one might ask the question, well, why Moses and <laughs> why Elijah? The answer would be uh, Moses representing kind of the, 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 the law and all of the law. Uh, Elijah, really, the great prophet representing all of the prophets um, and, and those great works of, of, uh, of the Old Testament. And, and so really Jesus speaking to the two key uh, figures uh, in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. We don't know what was said. We don't know the contents of the conversation. Uh, we, we don't know what was happening. Um, but we do know that Jesus Christ was with Moses and Elijah. And God uses this moment to affirm his son as the son of God, um, his beloved son, his only begotten son, with whom he is well pleased. Well, what does that mean? Is, is that Jesus um, interacting <laughs> with the ancestors? No, again, this is a very peculiar, very once-off event uh, which happens in the life of Jesus Christ, which is really used to affirm him as the Messiah. Uh, the desire of Matthew throughout his entire gospel is to present um, Jesus Christ as the, as the uh, Son of God, uh, to present him um, really as being um, the, the, the person who will come and redeem his people from their sins, um, Matthew gives his um, uh, gives the whole the whole purpose of him writing the book in uh, I was going to say chapter ten verse forty five but but it's not chapter ten verse forty five where he says um, that 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 Jesus Christ came as a suffering servant he came to suffer um, and to redeem a people um, this that's that's Mark's gospel chapter ten verse forty five I, I got those two wrong. Um, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus Christ being presented as the king, as the fulfillment of the Jewish expectation, the Christ and the Messiah. Um, 
just in terms of what's going on in the transfiguration this isn't an interaction with the ancestors this isn't you know making a sacrifice and hoping that they will in some ways um impact my year and now my good fortunes or, or whatever's going on in my life this is god affirming jesus christ as his only begotten son this is a unique event and shouldn't be taken in any way as being normative in our experiences uh, or, or our practices of how we go about engaging in life or in doctrine I don't know yeah. if you've got a, a follow-up to that, Tepo, because I can see you nodding your head. And, and uh, do you have anything that you want to add? No, 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 no. I'm just in agreement with what you're saying. Look, uh, I mean, just in terms of the conversations that we've had today, we've spoken about the autonomy of the local church and the relationship between the church and the state. That is obviously a massive question <laughs> as we sit in South Africa at the moment under lockdown. How does the church relate to the state and how does the state relate to the church? We've spoken about um, women preaching in the pulpit, which in reality, as we look at our country, uh, we see a diversity of interpretation um, on that particular um, question. Um, but the Bible speaks very clearly on that. And so we referenced uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and now, in terms of ancestral worship, again, a hot-button topic um, that I have no doubt many listeners uh, will be both intrigued um, and edified by talking around. Uh, Stephen does say, listening to your program this morning, um, and it's great to have you with us, Stephen. It's great to have you uh, with us, Beverly. And Beverly says, thank you so much for clarifying. Um, let me just say once again, uh, listeners, how you can engage with us. Uh, you can send in questions. You can send in comments. Um, you can engage with us live on air. Um, and the question is how, and the answer is on Facebook. You can go to Radio Pulpit, Radio Council. Um, we're currently streaming live there. You can drop comments into uh, the comments underneath the stream. On Twitter, we are on at 657AM. That is our Twitter handle. We will pick up any tweets that you drop there. And then on WhatsApp and Telegram, you can contact us on the number 082-657-2729. Love hearing voice notes. Uh, we'll wait for you on those. Uh, at the moment, Zane back at studio is going to take us into a musical interlude followed by some advertisements um, and we are going to find our feet um, for the second part of the show which will happen as soon as we 27 on my watch in front of me which means we've got about half an hour left um, until uh, it is time to depart um, and over that half an hour, uh, we've got an opportunity for some questions and answers. Again, you can engage with us. You, can, uh, you are invited to join the conversation. Uh, please do send through your questions, your comments. I get to see everything. Um, the system is like amazing. It, 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 it uh, gives me all your WhatsApp uh, voice notes and questions. It gives me your Twitter questions. It gives me your Facebook questions. I get to see them right in front of me uh, so that I can um, begin to engage myself in Tepo uh, with questions and comments that you have. H how might you do that? Well, if you're listening on Facebook, 
you can just drop a comment uh, underneath the live stream. Uh, Tepo and I will be able to hear and see that. If you are on Twitter, maybe you're listening on DSTV or you're listening on whichever other mechanism you use in order to engage with radio uh, on AM657, our Twitter handle is at 657AM. Um, and we are also able to receive both WhatsApps and Telegrams. I love WhatsApp voice notes. 082-657-2729. We are looking forward uh, to your questions. Uh, in the meantime, Seppo, um, brother, I mean, obviously we are in uh, very, very difficult times um, mm -hmm. as, a, as the world right now. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly death seems to be on our door uh, in some respects. Uh, we've experienced deaths uh, in our local church community. Um, I, I, I highly doubt that there's many people um, at the moment who haven't experienced deaths within their, their family or friendship circles over the last year uh, or two. How do we, uh, as Christians, how ought we to be responding to the times and the seasons that we are in? What is appropriate way for Christians to conduct themselves um, in the midst of the calamity in the world around us? How can we go about reaching a world with the gospel uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Great question. So, um, for one, I think, I think firstly, obviously, like as Christians, we are, well, we should be thankful to the Lord for having saved us. And yeah, just I mean, I mean, for me, that's the greatest comfort ever. And also, just knowing that, um, firstly, we we all know that uh, life is temporary, right? Um, and so, however, death comes, and obviously, nobody, well, none of us really plans or expects when death um, will be coming. Um, yeah, so I think I think for us we have this great hope, which is a sure hope, um, that we will be united with our Savior. And so I think I think when we come from that um, standpoint, um, that of hope, then I think we we as Christians should be reminding each other of what the Lord has done for us and what He's promised. I mean, He's gone to prepare a place for us. And so that that should be a reality. I mean, we 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 actually should be looking forward to being united with our Lord, right? Yeah. Um, so in in terms of losing loved ones, um, I don't think it's ever easy um, to lose a loved one. Um, but yeah, I think for us as Christians, what we should be doing is we should be all the more um, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that even when our loved ones um, come to the end of their life, which is a date that God has put down, um, that they too would be um, with their maker. You know, Tepo, I, I love your answer. It is thoroughly biblical. I want to tag a passage of scripture to it. As I was listening to you, I was reminded of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where yeah. the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, mm. and to die is gain. 
And then he says, now if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me and I don't know how, uh, which one I should choose. I'm torn yeah. between the two. I, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. And maybe just to just to explain what what's going on in that text, it's uh, it really is marvelous. Paul is saying, "Hey, listen, I'm ready to die. <laughs> For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Uh, you know, if if I get taken home to glory, praise the Lord. In fact, to be with Jesus Christ is far better." Uh, and you said it so well in terms of your answer. Uh, you said we must be we must be prepared ourselves personally for death. And maybe listener, if you if you're listening in on the show um, today, let me just say the the way to prepare for death is to be in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. It's to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on a cross for our sins, that He rose from the grave on the third day, and that all men everywhere must repent, turn from sin and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's how you can die well. You can die with a certain hope, that certain hope that Tsepo was speaking about. Um, but for those of us who are in this life, uh, in this life, living life with family and friends, um, uh, we are to live with with them in mind. Um, Paul says here, um, fruitful work. And he says that I long to depart and be with Christ, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. The truth is, if you're a believer, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have a limited time <laughs> to preach the gospel with folk that you love. A limited time to talk about the hope that you have in Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior with your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers, the people that you go to school with and the people that you meet at the, um, the grocery store and in the street. You have an opportunity to share your faith with them just like Paul speaks about to the Philippians in chapter 1 from verse 21 to 26. I, I really love that. Um, yeah. we, we are receiving some voice notes, Teppo. Um, we've received a voice note from Mandy, and we've received a voice note from Gelgelo. I do want to say thanks, guys, uh, for those. Uh, I have no doubt that Zani is in studio right now listening to them and figuring out how we might play them in order for you to hear them. Um, and he will indicate to me when that is going to happen. Uh, keenly waiting for that. But thanks so much for sending those voice notes in. Hopefully we will get to them shortly. Um, Tepo, just yeah. in terms of it, what are some of the ways that people might share their faith with family, with friends and with co-workers, even right now, in the midst of you know lockdown, in the midst of the difficulties that we are currently experiencing? So I think firstly what um, well what always works for me is um, obviously people these people know <laughs> especially those that have that I've lived closely with they know of my former life <laughs> and they know about my life um, afterwards 
Um, so I think that in itself plays a huge role into like just a just a, a foundation into how to start off the conversation as well. And like I'm just thinking about Paul. Um, so usually I, I do membership classes and we go through the material. And then when Paul talks of his testimony, he talks of his former life, uh, the moment of salvation, and then his life after salvation. And so if you do know that Paul was a, he persecuted Christians. And so met with Jesus at some point, and then thereafter, now like like a like a like a U-turn, he was there to persecute Christians. Now still on his way, but he gets there and he preaches the gospel. Um, so for me, how I would share the well, how I share the gospel is basically like you know you know who I was and. You you can now see who I am. I mean, you you it's it's not it's not because I've changed morals. <laughs> it's not because I've changed um, things that I used to do prior. But it is because something happened from within. Something happened from um, well, Jesus died for my sins, and because I believe that, and because I believe that um, He came to save and to seek and save the lost. And so um, that is basically where uh, my life changes or gets it get get gets its motivation to change from. So he saved me, and not only that, he's continuing to save me, <laughs> and and that's that's where the change of my life comes from. It is actually the power of the gospel, and so um, yeah, and so obviously sharing the gospel with others is. That too can happen for you. I mean, what what like the the the, the other question that I that I usually ask people is well, the first question that I would usually ask a person if I'm evangelizing is, um, what, what what where are you gonna go when you die? Where do you think you're gonna end up when you die? And obviously that that opens up the question. Um, or opens up um, a plethora of answers. <laughs> this is where you get to know where the person is. And so from there, you can then obviously just um, talk through what you believe. And, and there is where you can even get like a, a, like a, a pavement or a paved way to, to talk about your faith. Uh, because, um, yeah, I mean, Jesus died for Jesus died for for sinners, <laughs> and you know that I'm a sinner. You know, you know I'm not perfect. Um, so, I'm oh, I know you're not perfect, brother. <laughs> I work right next door to you all day long. Oh, but but I, I guess yeah. that's ditto ditto for me. You know, I mean, yeah, the the yeah. truth is, we are sinners in need of a savior, and yeah. that is our testimony. Our testimony isn't that we are perfect people in need of yeah. nothing. I. I Testimony like Paul is, I'm a sinner. In fact, I'm the chief of sinners in mm -hmm. desperate need of a savior. And Jesus is enough. Um, and, and that message, we do need to get to a watching world. Um, we need the world to hear the gospel. That is our task. Um, mm -hmm. God saves men. Our task is to faithfully proclaim the gospel message to men that they might hear the gospel. And so, um, yeah, and, and 
and opportunities abound. I, I mean, the reality is we now live in a digital world where we are connected with people in ways that we weren't before. Uh, we have opportunities to um, share our faith on Facebook. We have opportunities to uh, engage with people in meaningful ways via various different channels. But the message stays the same, never mind what channel we use, whether it's Facebook, WhatsApp, you know, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. whatever you're using to share your faith. Um, a telephone call to a person who needs a friend, um, or meeting with people at, at the office. You know, you st we're still yeah. going into offices, we're still eating lunch together. Um, the gospel remains the same, and the gospel message does need to go out, that Jesus saved sinners just like me <laughs> and just like you. Faith and trust yeah. in Jesus Christ. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, uh, make no mistake, it, it is harder right now um, to share our witness, uh, to witness and to testify, uh, uh, you know, all the social distancing protocols that are in place, uh, inability really um, regarding street preaching, door-to-door um, -door evangelism is hampered. People are far more reticent uh, to interact with our evangelists uh, than ever before. Um, but the need hasn't gone away. Uh, the need is still that people would hear the gospel uh, and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so because the need is so great, we need to figure out new ways of reaching a lost world uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to strain ourselves for that. Um, maybe to say though, I, you know, just thinking of a conversation I was having with my oldest daughter uh, last night, um, one of the key ways that we share our faith is within the context of our local families. Um, yeah. Husbands and wives interacting together, and parents bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and now, particularly during school holidays, parents who have children at home, grandparents who have grandchildren possibly uh, mm -hmm. in the house, now is a key time to spend quality moments with the people that you love most, um, sharing your faith with them, telling them what Jesus has done in your life and telling them <laughs> what the gospel message is. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had a great opportunity with my oldest daughter last night um, we, I was making a snack wedge. It was late at night. I just needed something extra to fuel myself before I went to bed. And, uh, and so I, I heard that she was still rumbling around in the bedroom. And so I called her into the kitchen. And um, just, you know, as I was cooking, we, we spoke about, about weighty matters. We spoke about Jesus. And we spoke about, we spoke about death because we had been at a funeral during the course of the day. Um, we spoke about eternal life. We spoke about what does faith actually look like meaningfully in the life of somebody who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior? Um, we really enjoyed interacting uh, together. You know, Chachelo and Mandy, I, I, I see your I see your messages, guys, and um, um, I, I guess the, the the concern is that we run out of time before we engage with you. And so, Chachelo and Mandy, if you wouldn't mind just typing them out. Um, Right now, it doesn't look like we can play them. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, 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 I sold you on voice notes, and uh, it looks like technology has defeated us. <laughs> we have been defeated by technology. If you, if you wouldn't mind just um, uh, briefly typing out your questions, uh, I would love to read them. 
Um, I, I'm assuming that that Khachelo is our Khachelo from Open Home Africa, um, who we interviewed uh, last week or the week before uh, regarding um, uh, adoption and fostering and being a place of safety in South, in South Africa. And uh, maybe just feedback to the, the hearers. We got positive feedback earlier um, today um, from 4SA just saying that uh, folk had responded in mass um, to the appeal that 4SA had made regarding the Papuda Amendment Act, as well as the, I think it was a green paper, which had been written by the Department of, um, I'm going to go with justice, but it might not have been justice, it was probably home affairs, um, regarding um, um, uh, marriage offices uh, and changes to the marriage and an amendment to that act. Really positive feedback. Um, I, I've been receiving feedback from Open Home Africa and just saying that listeners have been responding to the appeals to get involved with adoption, to get involved with fostering, to get involved uh, with places of safety. And so really grateful that the show is actually having meaningful impact uh, on a national level, um, but well as on a uh, personal level in the lives of, uh, of children. Uh, in our country. Praise the Lord for that and praise the Lord for the listeners who are responsive uh, at uh, Radio Pulpit. I, I love serving God even as I interact uh, together with you. Um, Mandy asks the following question. Our eldest son is engaged but living together. They want to get married but COVID. <laughs> what does the word say? The word has plenty to say and uh, and and I'm ready to answer this question, Mandy. I'm just busy turning to mm. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the reason why I'm turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is because this is my testimony. Um, when I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, I was living together with my girlfriend, um, a beautiful girl. Uh, she later became my wife. But after about two weeks, of, uh, of being saved. A missionary couple invited us over to their home. They gave us supper. They sat us down after supper and they said, look, we want to share the gospel with you. And both Lisa and I said, we're so excited. We're saved. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they said, well, well, then we want to read this passage of scripture to you. And the passage of scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we, we read the following as we as we go through the chapter in verse 7, as it is to have legal disputes amongst one another is already a defeat for you. Um, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Don't you know, the Apostle Paul asks, that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Don't be deceived. He, he's really speaking about, um, uh, uh, about lawsuits amongst believers and about the unrighteous way that believers are acting between one another in the text. Uh, that's the context. That's verse 7 and verse 8. But in verse 9, he then goes and extends it. He, he extends the scope of the conversation in terms of what unrighteousness looks like. And he says this, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, that's people who have sex outside of their marriage, or males who have sex with males, that would be homosexuality, 
No thieves, no greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, people who steal from one another, will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, he says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He says, hey, listen here, you used to look like something. And what he says you used to look like was you used to look like sexual immoral people. You, you used to look like males who have sex with males. You used to look like thieves. You used to look like greedy people. You used to look like drunkards. You used to be verbally abusive people. You used to look like swindlers, but no longer. You were saved to something better. Well, the, the, the couple who sat Liesl and I down um, said, uh, when you read... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 8 to 10 do you see yourself in any of that passage and Liesl was quite quick to confess yes um, sexual immoral um, Mark and I are living together and they said well the text goes on to say that some of you look like that but you've been sanctified you've been set apart to something more glorious what are you going to do in light of your public profession of faith as you read this text and during the course of that evening, and it took quite a while, Liesl and I came to the decision that we would move out, that we would get engaged and we would get married. Liesl actually moved in uh, with the missionary couple and lived with them for, I don't know, three or six months before we got married. Um, and, and then we got married and we moved together and we lived together as husband and wife, um, no longer as sexually immoral people. So that's my testimony, but that's also what God's word says. And I would say, Mundy, um, that um, if your son confesses Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior, when he reads texts like that, he should realize that there's something that he needs to do, and it looks like um, not being sexually immoral. That would be the first step, um, is to move out from his fiance, and I'm going to I'm going to take it for granted that it is his fiance because you do say that they want to get married. Um, but if it's not his fiance, they are to move out. They are to live in separate houses. She's to live under the roof of her mother and her father. Um, or, or if she's working and living by herself, she's to live there. He's to move in with you if that be necessary or if he's working uh, to live in his own house. Um, but they certainly are to live apart. They're not to engage in sexual immorality if they profess the name of Christ. Um, in terms of getting married, that's not as a complicated situation as you might think. Uh, the reality is there's a legal process which they need to engage with. There's a church process that they need to engage with. Uh, what God joins together, let not man tear asunder. And so th they are to go through that process. He's to reach out to his local church and speak to his pastor and go through that process with um, his fiance or with his girlfriend so that they can figure out what that process would look like. Um, but until such time as that process happens, they are to live separate from one another. Uh, that would be right. And they to do th all things, um, uh, you know, that, that God might be glorified in their lives. Um, the truth is, it's an amazing testimony when we, as sinful human beings, recognize that God's call 
isn't that we just profess the name of Jesus Christ, but that we believe with our hearts. And that as we believe, we are not merely hearers of God's word, but we become doers of God's word. That's really our testimony. That's what the watching world sees. Uh, Tepo has already referred to the Apostle Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul is a great example. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture says this. This is a trustworthy saying. This is true and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners and I am the worst of them, the Apostle Paul says. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate. That means he might show his extraordinary patience as an example. In other words, Paul became an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. And then he, great benediction, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I, I love that passage because... Number one, it recognizes that Paul was a sinner before he was saved. Number two, it recognizes that God saved sinners just like Paul and just like Mark, just like Liesel and Tepo and Mandy and your eldest son and his future wife. God saved sinners just like us. But God saved sinners for his glory's sake. And one of the ways that we demonstrate his glory one of the ways that God's glory becomes an example in our lives is when we follow his will and his rule in, his, in our lives to his praise and to his glory. Tips, anything else that you want to drop in terms of that conversation? So, yeah, like, <laughs> so I do, I do, I do know that um, a wedding is part of a big thing for a lot of people. Like I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned that there is the legal process that they can follow. I mean, the celebration can always happen at a later stage. And <laughs> I, I know people people want to have um, that memorable event, which that it can all it can always happen at a later stage. But I mean, in on like in 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 in, in like if you wanna honor the Lord. The, the most important thing now is to do it his way and which which could be the legal route right now um, and just getting married and then the celebration can follow later later on I mean yeah so so that day then deals with um, not being sexually immoral people um, having sex outside of marriage. And so, yeah, I think I think that's one thing that most couples could um, um, look towards if they really do want to honor the Lord with their lives. You know, uh, Tepo, just as you're talking, uh, I, I'm definitely not saying, hey, you know, follow the legal route and and follow the the church route at a later stage. I'm saying speak to your pastor. Uh, you are, you need to be married before God and witnesses, and you need to figure out how that can happen under the present circumstances. But your pastor yeah. will be able to guide you through that, um, and and follow the legal route and figure out how to do that. But 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 don't just live together because you've got a convenient excuse of a pandemic. The reality is, there's always going to be convenient excuses. We don't have enough money. Um, to to throw the lavish wedding that we want, we don't have enough. You know, we can't get you know friends and family from foreign you know areas in in order to 
No, I, I, I think the excuses will always be there and they will multiply uh, in our lives and in our hearts because that's the way we are wired. But if we truly want to glorify God, um, His Word is quite clear and quite explicit and we're to do that. I'm just also reminded, by the way, uh, in terms of, uh, because we keep on coming back to the role of an elder, lots of questions get asked around that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, which describes the qualifications of an elder, really describes the qualifications of any older saint, uh, of any saint who is mature in the Lord. This is, this is not just for your pastor, but, but these qualifications, Qualifications, excuse me, are, are, are given as kind of like the highest ebb of maturity and of mature living. And the overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, a one-womaned man, and that word wife, that word gune, connected to uh, this this woman, this wife in, in, in matrimony is how that is described in God's word. Jesus Christ affirmed uh, weddings uh, in the book of Matthew when he said what the Lord has what God has put together let not man tear asunder as he quoted from the book of Genesis chapter 2 that a man should leave his mother and father be joined to his wife and the two should become one flesh uh, and what's been described in Genesis chapter 2 is really the first wedding <laughs> God presents Eve to Adam uh, the bride to the bridegroom and then the description of what their lives look like after that uh, given at the end of the chapter you know Mandy it's a great question and thank you for asking the last question of the morning um, I've enjoyed uh, engaging and interacting uh, with uh, with the various different questions that were asked uh, I've enjoyed the way that uh, technology has allowed us uh, even to continue the show this morning uh, thank you so much for those who have tuned in thank you so much for those who engage with the show whether that be by signing petitions when we call and raise the flag for petitions to be signed um, whether that be asking questions or making comments on Facebook or Twitter or WhatsApp or whatever that might be, really do enjoy Friday mornings together with you. As we come to the end of the show, um, our prayers really do go out to all the elders and the deacons who hold the line in local churches, recognizing that at the moment your ministry is incredibly tough. Um, that it doesn't matter if you make one decision to the left or to the right half your congregations think you should have gone in the other route um our, our prayers are with you and uh, certainly we'll be praying for faithful elders and deacons in local churches all over our country we also pray for missionaries serving in foreign fields and i would encourage those of you who are listening in to pray for those who are taking the gospel of jesus christ even to foreign lands uh, that the Lord God might strengthen their arm and give them a harvest that he might be glorified in their lives. We do pray for and give much respect to the first responders. Look, we've been praying for that for years. <laughs> as long as I've known Tyrell, he prayed for first responders. And uh, I, I guess the prayer becomes more poignant at this time in our nation's history. And um, for police and for those who dispense justice, for firefighters, for paramedics, for our nation's nurses and for medical personnel, as well as correctional service officers. We, we do, we honor what you guys do and we pray for what you do and trust the Lord God uh, would meaningfully take care of you over this period. 
You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, Mark, together with Teppo Pitzel from Crystal Park Baptist Church. We are going to be going to news in a moment. And so until next week, Friday, go with God and get after it.